Well, today, as we look at the beginning of chapter 4 in 2 Timothy in the series we've been covering for the last six weeks, now seven weeks, today we're talking about preaching. My fear is that some of you will switch off at this point because it sounds, uh, it sounds sort of disconnected for you. As I read this passage over and over this week, I kept asking myself, what can I say to our congregation that will serve them well? How does this text, which sounds explicitly for preachers and certainly applies to the preacher, reach into their hearts and do a good work? And as we've been doing over the last six weeks, we will look more closely at what Paul is writing to Timothy and, and to the wider church, what he is saying. We want to break it down. We want to look at the individual pieces, and we want to study what it is that he is saying, what it says to Timothy, and what it says to us today. Because here is the truth. I am very grateful that God has chosen for me to come and work in this church, where the pastors and the staff are putting into practice what, is, what, what these section of verses are, are saying. Because the main point of Paul here is to preach the word. Timothy, preach the word. And I know that when I sit in a class, whether it's a Wednesday night or, or, or if I sit in a Bible study or if I'm listening to a sermon, whatever it is in this place, that is what is being done. I am hearing from God's Word and what it is that He is saying, even when I don't want to hear that Word at times. Because here's another truth. I can read this section about these last days and how people will not endure sound teaching and how people will surround themselves with teachers who suit their own passions and I can point my finger and say, that is them. And that is true in most cases. But at the same time, God's Word is a mirror and that mirror shows me that I like to hear what I like to hear. For example, did you know that Facebook has an algorithm in it that makes it so that your news feed shows you almost exclusively the opinions and ideas and things of people who think like you? And so in a sense it creates an echo chamber. Because we like hearing what we like to hear. I do not like to hear what I do not want to hear. I remember before I was married, I, um, I had a house and I had a number of roommates through the years. And one roommate was noticing that I was being selfish in a number of ways. As I'm sure my current roommate has noticed as well. And I'm very grateful that she's not here right now. <laughs> Now, this was, as is usually the case, I was unaware of these things. But he pulled me aside and he called me out on these areas. And so then I started going around and asking people, telling them what happened, explaining the situation. Of course, I am the victim in every way that I describe this to people. And I asked them what I should do. The people who told me, Oh, no, you have to kick this guy out. I liked those answers. 
The people who told me, you need to apologize and you need to just get on with life, I did not like those answers. So what did I do? I apologized and then I kicked him out. (laughs) Uh, If only that story wasn't true. (laughs) But what's the point of all of that? I wanted to hear what I wanted to hear. I did not want to be gracious. I did not want to be wrong. I wanted to be right. So as much as we categorize ourselves as people who have it all together, we must also be aware that we have our own fears and failures and desires. For in having an awareness of ourself, we are then able to preach the word. That is what the gospel does. It it shines the light on us and, and it shows us our failure to measure up. But then it reaches out in grace and saves us from ourselves. And then equips us to continue to grow in that understanding and then to proclaim it to others. Which is what Paul is saying here. Certainly for the preacher, but for the lay person as well. And so through that introduction, let's ask that the Lord would be with us this morning as we sit under his word. Father, we know these things are true for us. We know that your word cuts us. And so we don't want to hide from it, but we want to sit under your authority that has come from your word. Father, that it would show us the areas, it would shine the light in the areas that we hide in the darkness that would cut us in the areas where we perhaps feel conviction or perhaps are trying again to hide in the darkness, that it would bring growth and healing and restoration and rejuvenation, that it would give us confidence as we go forth. And so, Father, once again, another week, we ask that you would come and deal with us, that you would allow your word to speak to us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Preach the word. But it is not just that one charge. He he asked Timothy to look in, in three different directions to help emphasize this single point. Look at Jesus Christ, the coming judge and king. Look at your contemporary culture And look at Paul himself. Verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That carries a great deal of weight. He doesn't just say, Timothy, preach the word. Timothy, Do your best to preach the word. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So no pressure, Timothy. God the Father and God the Son are standing as witness to what has been charged to you by me. Do you think Paul could have found a more impactful way to impress on his spiritual son just how serious this all is? 
I don't think so. This is serious Timothy. And it's not just Christ Jesus. It is Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing. And his kingdom. I'm thinking, based on Timothy's uh, possible proclivity to, to shy away, as we've seen in earlier verses, uh, that his, his desire to want to be a behind-the-scenes guy, this had power. This was epic for him. His duty has been charged to him by the highest authority with the greatest weight. It reminds me of the opening scenes of, of Saving Private Ryan where the general issues the order for Tom Hanks and his crew to go and find Private Ryan. You go out with the full authority from on high and you have everything at your disposal. Do not let anything deter you from this mission. And the emphasis here isn't so much on the presence of God as it is the return of Christ. And his return will mean his judgment of the living and the dead. And his reign over his kingdom. The, the, the idea of judgment coinciding with the charge to preach, those words sound intimidating. But I think the intention here is to energize Timothy and it's to energize us to consider, consider what is at stake and not to take lightly what we have been called to as followers of Christ. Not only when he talks about the judgment, he's not only talking about the judgment of every man where we will all stand before God and give an account. But he is also talking about the judgment of ourselves, for those who have been called to preach and teach, for those who, who, who have been equipped. What have you done with what I have given you? And all of this on the backdrop of what lies beyond the judgment. And that is the reigning Christ, reigning on high, over his kingdom. Imagery that should spur Timothy on. You go out equipped with all you need to accomplish all that God has set before you. Remember the verses that we looked at last week. The fact that all scripture is God-breathed. The fact that it will never let you down. The fact that it is profitable for, for teaching, for training. It's not your own intellect or intelligence that allows you to teach and train. It is, it is uh, uh, profitable for reproof and, and correction. It, it's not your own strictness or, or power or, or, or structures that you've created that leads you to reproof and correction. You, Timothy, go forth with the ultimate power and authority. You go into battle with the greatest weapon or tool that you will ever need. For us, we, we, we consider the place where God has strategically placed us, where he has situated us in our life. The people he has put around us. The, the, the neighbors that we have. The people we interact with at, at work or, or at kids' events in our daily lives, and we recognize what authority that we go out there armed with and what powers are at our disposal. It's that same God 
breathed word that Timothy has. And what is at stake as we consider that heaviness of what judgment brings. It serves as tremendous motivation. Now, verse 2 sets up verse 3, and I I wish I could spend more time on verse 2, and I think that was my intention, but I think I'm just going to elaborate a little bit here. But verse 2 says it's the end of this part, so preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. It feels, again, it feels like a restatement of chapter 3, verse 16, that God breathed uh, His word. You preach the word because it is authored by God, because it is God-breathed and it is trustworthy. And with confidence in that word, that equips you for every good work. Preach it. Teach it with patience. Because judgment is for eternity. And so when we weigh those things out and we weigh out what eternity feels like and we understand that God has been patient with us, then we go and we take this word out, but we teach it and we preach it with patience. Verse 3, Timothy is to look to contemporary, look at the contemporary culture. This is the second basis on which Paul grounds his charge to Timothy And what are these times like? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. People cannot bear the truth. Twice he says it. Once in the negative, people will not endure sound teaching. And once in the positive, they will turn away from listening to the truth. This is Genesis 3 all over again. Adam and Eve stopped listening to truth and instead turned their ears towards what they liked hearing. That they could be like God. In the Old Testament, Rehoboam has an opportunity after Solomon has died, to unite the northern and the southern kingdoms of Judah and Israel. And he has advisors that suggest that this would be wise to do this. But he went to his friends who urged him to put the northern kingdom of Israel under harsher conditions. He went to hear what he wanted to hear. He went to hear what he liked. And the two kingdoms were split. We in our own lives have these moments and times when we struggle to endure sound teaching. And instead we go and and listen to those who will tell us what we want to hear. Hopefully you're feeling that added weight of chapter 3 verse 16 here. That the only truth is God's truth. And so there are constant battles waging war against our our minds, against our flesh, where our sinful nature seeks out what it wants to hear, to validate, to confirm. But the Word of God speaks powerfully to correct us, to teach us. And we are to preach the Word to ourselves here too. Timothy is not just a voice telling truth. He is a vessel who needs to heed the warning and stay with the truth. 
preaching the word to himself also. Now, we most certainly, we see this in our world, where people reject God's truth, reject sound teaching, and they run to what they want to hear. But how do we react to that? What does Paul tell Timothy to do? But you. But you be always sober-minded. You endure suffering. You do the work of an evangelist. You fulfill your ministry. The people around you will be unsteady. Your own heart can deceive you. Therefore, be steady. Be sober-minded always. When men and women become intoxicated with, with heady heresies and sparkling novelties, ministers must keep calm and sane. Although the people will not listen to the sound teaching, Timothy must persist in teaching it and so be prepared to endure suffering on account of the truth that he refuses to compromise. Because the temptation to soften the edges that seems so harsh is very much a reality. I can tell you that. Because people are woefully ignorant of the true gospel, Timothy is to do the work of an evangelist. Now whether this is talking about uh, the, the, the specialty role, uh, ministry role, or, or the general role of the believer in talking about an evangelist, the, the point in both cases is to make the preaching of the good news your life's work. Not a view that we have often today, is it? It is not just to be preserved against distortion, it is to be spread abroad. And even if people forsake Timothy's ministry in favor of of teachers who are tickling their itching ears, Timothy is still to fulfill his ministry. The difficult days in which it is hard to get people to listen were not to discourage Timothy, nor were they to deter him from his ministry, nor to to push him to cut out the hard parts or, or even to silence him altogether, but rather to spur him on to preach all the more. When our when our hearts are weary. When we feel ourselves busy or distracted, the answer is not to cut our time in in the church body or or, or to push off reading of, of God's Word and studying of God's Word. The answer is to dive in deeper. I cannot tell you how many people I have talked to who the first thing when life gets hard and difficult, the first thing they start cutting out is church time. Sometimes they even keep the the Bible study thing, and that's fine. But there's an aspect of us coming together as a body of believers. Uh, In fact, on Tuesday, an interview between Bruce Lowe and myself will be uh, on the podcast where we're talking about how to deal with sin, how to deal with uh, uh, habitual sin. And Bruce is showing us 
the importance of us coming together as a, as a body of believers. That the answer is not to take sin and hide it in the darkness, but to, to bring it to the light. Not necessarily in front of the entire body, but to use the body of Christ to, 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 to help us see the truth. To understand that there's hope and healing that comes from sitting under the authority of the Word of God. Understanding what His Word of truth says to us. And how do we apply that to our lives? How do we apply that to our situation, the things we're struggling with? And so the answer is not to cut these things out, to remove them, to put them in the, on the back burner, but rather dive in deeper. Read it when you feel like it and when you don't. Study it alone or with another when it's convenient and when it's not. Hear what it has to say when it's easy and when it's hard. Speak the truth in love to your neighbor when you feel like it and when you may not. And if they reject you and if they turn away from you, keep going. Finally, the third ground on Paul's charge is in Paul's own martyrdom. Verses 6 to 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Here's the logic behind what Paul is saying. But as for you, Timothy, you must fulfill your ministry, for I am already at the point of death. It is all the more vital that Timothy continue and complete his ministry because Paul's life work has reached its completion and is coming to an end. Just as Joshua followed Moses and Solomon followed David and Elisha followed Elijah, so now Timothy must follow Paul. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is imagery that Paul picks up from uh, the Jewish custom of pouring wine out at the base of the altar as part of the sacrifice of the lamb. It's a metaphor for how Paul viewed his own life. In Philippians, Paul uh, had written similarly about the possibility of his death. It is being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of their faith. He doesn't look at his situation as as if it's uh, just about him about to be executed, but rather as an offering of himself to God. Now, the thing about a drink offering is that it looks pointless, right? It looks wasteful. How many people would have looked at Paul's life, particularly the Jews who, who knew him and saw him being trained up, and would have said, what a waste, Brilliant mind that he was, and he wasted it all on that Jesus stuff. It looks wasteful. But since his conversion, he has offered to God everything. His wealth, his body, his mind, his passions, his position, his reputation, his relationships, his dreams. His life has been uh, spent in service to God. And now his death will also. And not one drop of it will be in waste to service to God. The time of my departure has come. Here is the imagery of life 
not being terminated, but continuing on. It's a departure that has another destination. And it is where Paul ultimately wants to be. Again, he says to the Philippians, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Those who have departed to be with Christ are far better off. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Based on Paul's description of the the armor of God in Ephesians 6, we understand the fight imagery. Paul has fought against false teachers. He he has fought against false brothers in the church. He's fought against the, the sovereigns of empires like Rome and against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers of this present evil age. And he can look back on it and say, I fought the good fight. Paul can say he finished the race for which God has set before him. Hebrews uh, tells us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. All of us are running a different race in some sort. We have different obstacles. We have different opportunities. But there is a course set by God, and then there is our own course. Paul has kept the faith. He has guarded the good deposit, the deposit he is handing over to Timothy, the deposit of doctrine, the deposit of the gospel. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, 1 Timothy 6. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, 2 Timothy 1. Preach the word, 2 Timothy 4. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me, On that day, and not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. It is not a crown of glory. It is not a crown of peace. It is not a crown of joy. But Paul awaits the crown of righteousness. A righteousness which Paul received when he believed in Christ. A righteousness that was given by Christ, the righteous judge. But one that is ultimate. Seth was talking about the rest. We, 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 we have the rest now, but we look forward to the ultimate rest that we have in Him. This is what he's talking about, the ultimate righteousness, the ultimate permanent state of righteousness. Why righteousness and not glory? Why that crown? Because righteousness is ultimately what we as sinful humans need. It is what we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right before a righteous God. And the text literally suggests the question, do you love His appearing? Those who have placed their hope, their love, their satisfaction and joy in Christ love His appearing. It is what we long for. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the undergirding that's going with Timothy. And for us, as we consider what it means to preach the word, let me read the last paragraph from John Stott's commentary on this section because I found it, I found it helpful, and I hope you will as well. He writes, Our God is the God of history. 
God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. He buries his workmen, but carries on his work. The torch of the gospel is handed down by each generation to the next. As the leaders of the former generation die, it is all the more urgent for those of the next generation to step forward bravely to take their place. Timothy's heart must have been profoundly moved by this exhortation from Paul, the old warrior who had led him to Christ. Who led you to Christ? Is he or she growing old? The man who introduced me to Christ is now living in retirement, though an active one. I'm pretty sure he's passed because John Stott himself has passed. We cannot rest forever on the leadership of the preceding generation. The day comes when we must step into their shoes and ourselves take the lead. That day had come for Timothy. It comes to all of us in time. So then, in view of the coming of Christ to judgment, of the contemporary world's distaste for the gospel and the imprisoned apostles' imminent death, the latter's charge to Timothy had a note of solemn urgency. Preach the word. And so consider your life. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Preach the word. Jesus is coming to judge all mankind. Preach the word. He's coming to reign as king. Preach the word. He's returning to a culture that often rejects truth. Preach the word. Look at those who have gone before us and have been faithful, like Paul. Preach the word. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we don't even know when when or when not to preach the word. (laughs) Some of us don't even know what it is when we are doing it. That we are heralds. We are proclaiming the truth of salvation in Christ alone. And yet, as we've said in weeks past, that very few of us will not have that opportunity. Each and every one of us will be given an opportunity, whether it's raising children, speaking to a friend, speaking on a platform to a group of people, And we all understand the the proclivity we have in our sinful nature to withdraw, to hold our tongue. There are moments when it always feels out of season. And yet you have given us your word, the God-breathed scripture, which is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for training in righteousness so that we may be equipped for every good work. And so, Father, may we 
stand on the authority of the Word of God. And may would you open our eyes to see those opportunities as they present themselves to us. And would we with boldness stand and proclaim it with gentleness, with patience, but also in confidence. For we know what this truth holds. We understand that a judgment day is coming that will ask us how we were faithful. And there will be people who will stand before that judgment throne. And so, Father, with those things at the back of our minds, we know that we cannot do this in and of ourselves. And so we ask that you and your spirit would come and intercede and work through us and drive in us a desire and a hunger to learn your word, to understand it better, to speak it with more clarity and conviction as the days go by. For the the day is coming when we will say we have run the race, we have fought the fight. May we be people who said we kept the faith. We kept the faith because of you. We kept the faith because you were faithful to us. And so, Father, let us go out of this place with those convictions, with that boldness, with that desire that you have placed in us. And preach the word. And preach the word. And preach the word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.